Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank Him for giving us another day and all together and bringing us all together again that we would worship Him and glorify Him with our actions. And you know, that's what that is. One of the ways in which we glorify God is when we come to church and when we gather, when we put a time, when we put aside our personal time and we decide to do something for God. That's anytime you do that, that's a little bit of a way in which you worship God. If you've ever uh, been worshiping the Lord in song and you ever raise your hands to the Lord and raise your hands as David did in the Psalms and raise your hands to the Lord in praise and then the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees not only are you singing to him, but you're also, you're reaching out to him and he looks at your heart and he goes, man, that's so precious. That's my child. So just like coming to church, praise be to God. Thank you guys all for coming to Gospel Saving Church and welcome everybody coming into my home for Gospel Saving Church and welcome everybody coming online. God bless you and thank you for joining us. It's a privilege for me to get to stand in front of you and speak the word of God to you. I just pray and hope as I'm going to pray here in a moment that uh, the Lord would touch your heart today and, and that he uh, he would have some victory in your lives today in, in this area we're going to cover today. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into my thoughts from last week and where we're going to be today in our sermon, I'd surely appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us, Lord. Thank you so much for, for freely giving of yourself, Lord, to us on the cross. For, Lord, you only had two things Two reasons, I should say, why you went to the cross. Number one, of course, it was obedience. God said, do it. And Jesus, you said, okay, God, you said, do it. I must do it. But then there was the reason why God told you to even do it in the first place, Lord. And that was to pay for the sins of sinners, Lord. And where are sinners? Well, all over the world. And I'm one of the biggest ones. So, Lord, we're all sinners, all of us people on earth. So, Lord, I... I just thank you, Lord, for giving of yourself so freely for my, so, for my sin, uh, which would stop me from, from knowing you, which would stop me from getting into heaven, Lord. But yet you gave yourself and you gave your blood so that you could pay for that sin. And I just thank you so much, Lord, for that. I ask you to bless our time together, Lord. Bless our service, Lord. Help us to hear you clearly today, Lord. Help us to to understand what you're saying to us, Lord. And then as we understand what you're saying to us, Lord, and as your spirit speaks to us, Lord God, I pray that you would then bring change into our lives in any area that we're in need of a change, Lord. I pray you'd bring repentance into our lives in any area of our lives that we're in need of repentance. And Lord, I pray you give us encouragement in those areas in which we're doing good in, Lord God. As, as Lord, you, you don't just tell us when we're doing something wrong. Of course, Lord, you, you commend us Lord, as a good father does, a child that does well. So, Lord, help us to hear you clearly and bless this service and bless our time together. Lord, and may it be a blessing, dear God, unto you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Get it? 7-11, kind of almost like the... <laughs> the convenience store, 2, verse 7 through 11, 1 John. But first, I'm going to give you my thoughts from last week's message, and you could be looking it up in your Bible to read along, or you can look it up afterwards. But 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11, my thoughts from last week's message, the tests of knowing Him. So last week, one of the main verses we studied was verse 3 of John's epistle, chapter 2, where John wrote this. 
Now, by this we know that we know him if, a big if there, we keep his commandments. You could say if we do the things that he says to do, then we know that we really know him. Not know of him, but we really know him if we keep the things that he told us to do. And putting what Paul said in Ephesians together with what John said in John's first or second chapter of his epistle, you can say it like this. You should say it like this. If someone is really saved, they will start to live a life striving to obey the teachings or commandments of Jesus Christ. So you could look at it like this. The byproduct of your salvation or of your truly being saved is your striving to keep the teachings of Christ in obedience to do what he commanded. And remember, we always can't forget, it's not because I keep the teachings, I'm saved. So I can keep these teachings and I can be obedient to God and then he'll save me. It's because I am saved, because I have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, then out of that relationship will flow good things, will flow godly things, godly traits, keeping of God's commandments, keeping of Christ's commandments. Well, on that whole idea, funny enough, I just, Lord reminded me of this, about nine years ago or so, I wrote, I wrote a gospel tract entitled, Are You Truly Saved?, you can find it on gospelsavingchurch.com. It's on there under Gospel Tracks. And in this Gospel Track, I covered this same basic information that John wrote about in his epistle that we studied last week. Now, I didn't even get the Gospel Track from 1 John. I got it from the whole Bible. Things like, you know, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. Kind of verses like that. Well, I wrote about how if a person was really born again or truly saved, their life would show proof of it. There would be a godly change to their lives if you got saved. They would not even live the same type of life that they lived after they were saved. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to my wife. That's what's happened to any person that I've ever known that's truly been saved is they don't live the same life that they lived before they were saved. Now they, their life has changed in, in a godly way. Um, you kind of like Jesus is more at the center and things about God become important to you is where they weren't important to you before. And so this godly change and these godly good things and these godly good works should come from that relationship. Well, now at the time I wrote this gospel tract, I wasn't a pastor. I was an evangelist. And, and today I'm teaching it from the pulpit. But there's a little irony here that you have to bear with me with. There's a little irony. The irony is this. Nine years ago, when I wrote or when I wrote the gospel tract, uh, I had forgotten that I wrote the gospel tract when I was writing the sermon for last week, and so I think that's funny because I just was thinking, you know, I can't believe I forgot that that whole gospel tract. I probably handed out thousands of those things, maybe tens of thousands of those things, and yet I had forgotten all about that gospel tract that I wrote. I wrote almost nine years ago, or about nine years ago, when I was doing that sermon last week. Anyway, since then, God's given me many ways to talk about this idea John spoke about, that I wrote about, but one of my favorites that the Lord reminded me of, and I, and I, hope, this, I hope this strikes a nerve with you, because maybe you can use this too, or maybe this is something you need to look at for yourself, but one of the favorite ones the Lord's reminding me of when I was writing this sermon is one that goes like this. It's, 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 it's talking about this change, and it's this, this saying. It's a kind of an old saying, but it's called, the proof is in the pudding. 
Now, that's kind of an old-time saying. I don't know if you guys know what that means. If you don't, I'm going to tell you. Basically, what that means is the proof is in the pudding is, let's say your mama bakes or she, she makes the pudding on the stove. And then as it sets and as it settles, it gets this really nice, smooth top to it. Okay, really nice, smooth, beautiful, creamy looking top. Making me want pudding right now. My goodness, I, I got to stop. Anyway, but what happens is, is the proof in the pudding kind of goes like this. If you've ever were a kid, if you're a kid now, mom, mama made that pudding. She puts it in the, fr- in the fridge to kind of let it cool and set. Well, if you ever go in there and if you ever just take your finger and you take a little bit out of that pudding and you disturb that perfect smooth top once it settles, that always stays there. The proof is in the pudding. If it's touched, in a sense you could say, if God touches your life, that touch is always going to be there. Just like the proof is in the pudding. That little, that little fingerful, that little spoonful that you as a kid took out and you, you ate it because you just couldn't wait till mom was going to dish it out after supper. You just had to take it. Well, that little mark that you took out of that will always be there. In a sense, just like a saved person, God will touch you and, when you, and save you, and then that touch will always show. And this is how I look at a saved person. There should be a mark or marks of their salvation, kind of like proof in the pudding. Anyway, uh, I, God gave me that neat way to understand this idea, and, and uh, that's pretty neat to me anyway. I hope it is to you. But uh, anyway, if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, you know, I asked you just now, I know everybody that's in my home did, but those listening online, if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I want to ask you today, are you really born again? And if so, is there proof to your pudding of being born again or truly saved? Meaning, out of love, not out of I want to be saved, but out of love, like a love relationship with a wife, does your life reflect the teachings of Jesus Christ, obedience to his word, And do you live a life that's like him? Or are you striving in your life to live a life like he did? I really hope so, because if not, then you're in big trouble, as John reminded us last week in 1 John 2, 4, where he says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That means that even though you may think you're saved, call yourself a Christian, but yet you don't live a life like Jesus did. There's no real marks, there's no real proof in the pudding of your real salvation and that the fact that you're working at, striving at following his teachings. The Bible says if there's nothing there, you're deceived and you won't be saved. So I ask you today, please examine your life and the ways in which you live according to the Holy Scriptures and how Jesus Christ lived. And if there's no proof in the pudding of your real walking with Jesus, and by this I mean a genuine changed life that's centered around service and relationship with Christ, then ask God to really save you and change your heart so that you may be born again and you may be saved. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you, me, we only get one life to get this right. Only one. There's only one chance once we die, if we don't get it right, and there's no sign of a genuine changed life for Christ, we're, and, and striving to be you know, obedient to the word, his words and commandments that he gave, then, we're, then you'll die in your sins. And the Bible says that God will judge you guilty. And because of your sins, because you were never cleansed by the blood of Christ, and he'll cast you into the pits of the fiery hell forever without a return ticket. Now what I say to you today is not popular. 
You won't hear it in many churches, especially, uh, this is an overview, this is kind of even weird for me, but I love you very much, and I don't want you to go to hell, because God wants you to go to heaven. God, not just to be to heaven, but He wants you to be with Him forever. And I tell you, I tell you how it is, uh, I'm not looking at pleasing anybody or tickling any ears, because if I was, then I'd sure be a different preacher than I am now. But God loves you, and He wants you to surrender and be saved if you don't see any proof in the pudding of your life of a saved walk with Jesus Christ. All right, well, praise God. Let's switch gears and move on to our new sermon for today. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. The title of our sermon today, the title, Love One Another as I Have Loved You. Love one another as I have loved you you. Let's read and I'll discuss the scripture. 1 John chapter 2 verse 7. John says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because of the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, leapfrogging off of what I just spoke about, about proof in the pudding, right? I mean, John gives us another, another way here to know in which, you know, this, like he kind of said before, hey, by this we know we know him if we do the things that he said. Well, you know, we're going to learn today about God is love. Well, here's another proof of where we're at with God, the type of love we have for, you know, someone else or other people. Leapfrogging off what I just said about the proof in the Pudding, although that analogy is a good general rule of thumb with a true born against a person, there are always exceptions to every rule, even the one I discussed. Let me explain. Um, in verse 7, John writes here, he says, Brother and I, I, I write no new commandment to you. And he's speaking about the last kind of couple things that he said there, where he says in verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. So he's speaking about a commandment that He gave to them to live like Christ. That's what he just said. I give you no new commandment, but one commandment that I've already given you, and you've had it from the beginning. And that commandment he's talking about is, you, Christian, you, Christian, you, Christian, live like Christ. Live and do the things that Christ said to do. It's He gave it as a commandment. Now, I just talked about how John just told us that imitating Christ and keeping his teachings and commandments was a commandment, right? That's what what he just said. Well, how can, if we go back to what I said in my overview in last week, how can imitating Christ and keeping his words and teachings be as a natural thing that happens after someone gets saved and also be a commandment that John gave considering that commandments are requirements? If something's happening, happening naturally, how can how should we then then we don't shouldn't need to command 
right? I mean, after all, if the car is driving or somebody's walking, you don't say to somebody that's walking, hey, you better walk because they're already walking. Hey, car, you better drive. It's already driving. So how can the true fruit of the Spirit, of the things, doing things God said to do, like what I've experienced in my life, what every other Christian I've talked about is you know, experience in their lives where they just automatically start doing these things, and yet John have a commandment to give them as well too. Well, there's an exception to every rule. I've talked about in this church over and over and over again because I'm not a, uh, a unconditional eternal securist. We know that it's possible to come to Christ and then fall back or fall onto perdition again, so basically to forfeit your salvation. You can come to Christ, and yet if you desire the things of the world again, you can fall away, and I believe the Scripture talks about that actually more than many other of the you know, Calvinistic-type doctrines. Scripture speaks against a unconditional eternal security. Um, we call it backslide, and I've showed you before how Scripture speaks about it. Well, in a similar way, in a Christian's life, it's possible for us, the longer we are saved as the years go by, to become lazy and to become apathetic towards the following of Christ and towards doing the things that he said to do. I have been saved for around 16 or 17 years. And I myself have found this to be an issue even in my walk with God. Uh, basically, as I've lived for the Lord, when I first got saved, man, my life changed. Serving God was so easy, man, everything was come natural. But then as I kind of got older in the Lord, I kind of got, you know, I found, a, I found a tendency to maybe become a little lazy. To not kind of do the things that God said always. Or, you know, I, I know he said share the gospel, but, uh, you know, did he really, just with this person, you know, I don't know. And then so it's been a battle for me in my walk with the Lord over the last 16 or 17 years to stay fervently, you know, non-apathetic, so on fire, basically, in a sense, to say to do the things that Christ commanded to do and to follow the teachings and to absolutely live my life like he did. And it's real easy to do, or I should say not to do, because why? The desires of my flesh are warring, right? They're warring against the things that God wants me to do. The desires of my flesh say, be lazy. Take it easy. Oh, sleep in today. You'll spend time with God later today. You don't have to get up early and have your Bible time. Oh, you know, there's churches on every corner. You don't have to evangelize every person. You know why? You know, they, they've got a hundred churches in the square mile. You know, you don't have to go out and evangelize them. You know, Jesus didn't say re-evangelize people. He said evangelize people. So, you know, it, it, because of the desires of your flesh, it's real easy not to obey the things that God told you to do. It's real easy not uh, you know, to follow the teachings of Christ. It's real easy to become apathetic toward the things that God told you to do. That's why in the Bible, along with what we just read here in 1 John chapter 2 here, we see other scriptures like this, Jude 1, 20 and 21. Jude says, but you, beloved, speaking to Christians, that's the context, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Hey, that was a command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He didn't say, hey, you know, you might want to, you know, just uh, think about it. No, he said, keep. It's a command, right? He says, then he goes on to say, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Romans 13, 11 and 12, he says this, and do this, 
knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. Think about that. Christians, he's frightened to Christians. What happens when you go to sleep? He said it's high time to wake up out of sleep. Well, it's real easy to become drowsy on the long road to salvation that gets to heaven, right? Real easy, real easy to say, man, I'm tired. Man, I've been working for God for all umpteen years. Man, I'm tired. You know what? Oh, man, I'm going to rest. Well, he says, hey, it's high time to wake up out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is spent. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let's put on armor of light. Now he's talking to Christians. And he's telling them, hey, you got some sin in your life. You got some laziness in your life. Hey, it's time to get up. It's time to wake up. It's time to get back in the game and put the armor of light of Christ on again. Uh, These are Christians. They had become apathetic toward the word. They had become apathetic toward, you know, following the commandments of Christ. And so, therefore, the disciple, the apostle, he gets up in, his, in their faces and he says, Come on, guys. It's not over yet. It's not over. We still got a long road to go. Get up. Get back to work. Same here. We read of John reminding these Christians of the commandment that he gave them in the past to live a Christ-like life and to obey the teachings of Jesus. It can be very dangerous to grow apathetic toward living a Christ-like life and keeping his words and commandments. Paul warns us in Hebrews 2.1, he says, therefore, if we, uh, therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. What's he saying? We need to pay attention. Hey, all the things we've read in the Word, everything we've heard in church, we need to take the most earnest heed. That means we need to take the most, hey, I need to give that my utmost attention. Why? Because I need to make sure that I'm not drifting away. It's easy, ladies and gentlemen, to drift away. If you're not anchored, I went to a, a retreat many years ago where the whole idea of the retreat was drifting or drifting away or the title had drifting in it. It's easy to drift away. Or, and they talked about how if your anchor is not hooked to the dock, and I'm not a big fisherman, so I'm not a, I don't go on boats and stuff, but if, and it's true because I know this, I've seen it. If you're not hooked to a dock and your boat's not got a good anchor, and you're just sitting in the water, you could start out there, but as the water just kind of rolls, the boat's going to kind of just drift from where it was. And that's kind of how we are. We need to take the most earnest heed to our salvation, to the things that we learn, to the commandments of God, and do those things and not become lazy and go to sleep. And, and, you know, and then we find ourselves drifting away. He says again in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, look what he says. And he says, And we desire that each of you uh, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. What is he talking about? Stay in the game to the end. Hey, you're in a race. Keep running the race. Don't stop short. Don't lay down. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I got a cramp. No, you walk it off. If you can't run in a race because you got a cramp, the worst thing to do is stop. You should stop and walk, but you should never stop dead in your tracks like and do nothing. And that's basically what Paul was writing there in Hebrews 6. He says that you not, may not become sluggish, uh, but imitate those who have, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So it's, it's, a, it's a something that we got to be careful not to become apathetic toward is the following of Christ and the obedience 
to his commands. I believe that's why Jesus gave us the same warning in Matthew 25, 14 to 29, where he talks about the parable of the, you know, the, the talents where we have these servants and they were all his servants and they each got a certain amount of, you know, things to do for God and a certain gifting from the Lord. And yet one of them, because he only got the one, but he could have still multiplied the one, but he came, he became apathetic toward what God had given him. And he, he kind of had a weird kind of thought about God. And so he didn't do anything with his one. And because he became apathetic and he didn't do anything with the gift that God gave him, he said, hey, now go do what I, you know, go take what I've given you and put and go to work with it. He ended up not making it to heaven. And so there's a danger of drifting away. There's a danger to become apathetic. So that's why Paul, John says here, I come, listen to my commandment, Christians. Keep doing what I told you. Keep doing, you know, keep following Christ. Keep doing the things that Jesus told you to do. And don't stop uh, continuing to live a Christ-like life and being obedient to the teachings of Christ is so important that look what he even says in verse 8. So he said, verse 7, hey, I give you no new commandment, one that I gave you from the beginning. You heard it from the beginning. Again, verse 8, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Uh, Verse 8, I'm reminding you again now, Christians, I'm giving you, I'm renewing this commandment to you now, Christians, live a Christ-like life. Because it's all in relation to what he told us, how we should be obeying the teachings of Christ, how we need to be making sure we're, we're following his teachings and we're, we're you know, following his commandments and we're, we're living a life like he did. Christian, the very word, if you're a Christian out there, it's, the very definition is a follower of Christ. And we cannot, as children of God, allow ourselves to become apathetic towards following Christ and obeying his teachings and commandments. John even gives us a clue as to why in verse 8. He says there, why, why not to? One of the reasons why not to? Hey, Christ is coming soon enough. Hey, in the darkness of Satan, it'll be gone soon enough. Christians, you can never forget. We can never forget. This is something we all need a reminder of. Satan's time is short. And at any time now, any time, or very shortly today, this moment, right now, because nobody knows the day or the time, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to put an end to this terrible, terrible sin-filled existence that we live in. The terrible, terrible, all the things that happen and the murder and the disease and you know the Alzheimer's and the death and everything. He's going to put an end to that and put an end to the devil's reign and the reign of sin in the world. And he's going to reign in righteousness. And... Ladies and gentlemen, like a bride waiting for her husband who he's, you know, he's going to come back for at any time and say, hey, let's get married. We must be ready when our husband Christ comes back to get us for the wedding supper of the Lamb, the Bible talks about. And you're not going to be ready for him to come if you're asleep. You're not going to be ready to come if you become apathetic toward his teachings or you stop obeying his words and his commands. Or you don't continue to keep yourself in the love of Christ. Or you stop striving to live a Christ-like life. You won't be ready. It's just simple as that. The Bible says it. You won't be ready. Now in regards to this Christ-like lifestyle that John is referencing his new commandment to them about, look what he says to us in the next verse. To Christians, because that's the context now of this whole section. Look at verse 9. He says this, 
He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. This is, this is a very difficult scripture to talk about. So it goes a little like this. So the person who says they're a Christian and in the light, and the light would be together with God, right? God is light. We learned that last week, 1 John 1, 5, or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. So when it says that he who says he's in the light, that means that he who's in fellowship with God, in the light of God, in the light of Christ. So they say that they're in the light, So this person confesses they have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and this person confesses that they're walking in righteousness and believes themselves to be saved. Yet, John says here, verse 9, yet they have a hatred for their brother or sister. This would be now a brother or sister in Christ. Now we're talking about a real Christian here now, because John's writing to Christians. His whole letter is to the saved Christians of his day, and of course us today. So this would be a brother and sister in Christ. So yet they have a hatred for their brother and sister in Christ. Uh, yet they have a hatred for their brother or sister in Christ. This would be a brother and sister in Christ. But it's n- not really in the light or with Jesus Christ. But they are in the darkness, John says, which is the opposite of the light because they have hatred in their heart for a brother or sister who's in Christ. Now, that that may sound like, oh, that's not me. Oh, that, okay, yeah, I got that. I'm in the light because you know what? I don't hate anybody. Oh, man, you know, hate. In fact, that's hate such a bad word. Oh, I, I hate the even word hate. I just don't even like it. And you know what? That's, that's not even me. But yet, yeah, listen to this. Definition of the word hate, and I, I don't like it. I, I kind of hate when the definitions roll like this. Strong's definition, to hate or detest. I hate it when they use the word for the definition in the actual word itself. Like they, they use the same word in the definition itself. So you kind of got to go further. Reasons. Well, what is okay? What is exactly is hate? What what does it mean to hate? Because that's the kind of definition I want, right? Well, these words haven't changed probably forever. And so look what Merriam-Webster says. It means to hate or detest today, right? Merriam-Webster hate a very strong feeling of dislike. Ooh. Ouch. Detest. To dislike someone or something very strongly. So the word hate isn't as really as bad as people think. It just means to strongly dislike someone or something or to have a very strong feeling of dislike towards someone or something. So when you put those definitions into what John said in verse 9, John, verse 9 sounds a little bit more serious. A person who says they're saved and walking with Jesus Christ in faith and relationship, yet carries a very strong dislike or feeling of dislike for a fellow Christian. Ooh, ooh ouch, because, wow, that's, that's not that bad. I mean, that's actually that's something that's kind of realistic. That's, that's something that's attainable, unfortunately. It, he says then that they're not really in fellowship with Christ and they're really in the darkness of sin and really in an absence of a relationship with God or Christ. And to any Christian that's stuck in this right now, the Bible says that you have stepped out of the light and into the darkness of sin. Really, and if you've done this, you're saying that you're a Christian, but you have all these kind of hateful, you know, 
bad thoughts and bad feelings and, and, and negative feelings and you have all these, what, feelings of dislike for others and yet really you've forsaken God's way. And I'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. How can this be, you may say? Pastor Ed, I don't, I don't agree with what you're saying. Now, yeah, that can't be right. Because, you know, I can dislike someone and I, don't, it doesn't, I can be a Christian I can still be a Christian. Well, okay, John just said, if you have hatred, which is strong dislike for another Christian, you're not in the light, you're in the darkness. And remember, I can say this because John just wrote this in this epistle, chapter 1, verse 6, where he said, if we say that we have fellowship with him, talking about Christ, and walk in darkness, now it's the same reference to now, he says we lie and don't practice the truth. Bible says that a follower of Christ absolutely cannot be walking in a saved relationship with God and being redeemed currently and have hatred in their hearts or have a strong dislike for other Christians or even have feelings of a strong dislike for other Christians and still be in the light. That's what the scripture just said, which represents salvation because this hatred is darkness and God is light. Remember, 1 John chapter 1, God is light, and he's also love. John goes on to say, verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and, there no, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. So the person who loves his or her brother or sister in Christ, and this would be a Christian, of course. Remember, the context of this whole situation is a Christian, Christians loving Christians, so this Christian who loves his brother or sister in Christ abides in the light. And since God is light, then context dictates that the person that loves their fellow or fellows, uh, Christians, I should say, without any strong feelings of dislike or hatred, is abiding with or in God and Christ. And this person is the one that is truly walking with Christ in the light, so saved and heaven-bound. Uh, look at the two things Jesus says in the Gospel of John concerning this situation. Gospel of John, not the first epistle of John, but the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says this, This is my commandment. And you're going to actually, you'll hear, I actually got the sermon title from this verse here. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. He just commanded, Christian, that you love one another. And he tells you why. As I have loved you. That's pretty powerful. Again, Keeping the commandments of Christ shows that we're His. If we're not keeping the commandment of loving Christians, loving other followers of Christ, and not having any feelings of hatred or, or disliking them, or, or you know, just then, then we're not keeping His commandment. Down to verse 15. Or down, or yeah, well, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 of St. John, he writes this. He says, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, listen, so if we're not abiding in the light, remember I just said, if you're not abiding in the light, you're walking in darkness, and that darkness means that you're not on the path to heaven anymore. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So we're either walking in the light with Christ, 
and loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and not hating them in any way, having any strong feelings of dislike for them at all, or we're not. So again, a Christian is either abiding in Christ and bearing the godly fruit of love toward their fellow brother or sister in Christ and obeying his command to love one another as he loves them and is in the light, or they're not abiding in Christ and not obeying his command his command to love one another as he loves them, and they're walking in darkness. And the Bible says that anyone who's walking or living in a sinful way as a practice of any sin shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you do not repent of this hatred or strong dislike of other children of God, and you don't start obeying his commission or commandment to all his kids to love one another as he loves them, then they will, as Jesus said, John 15, 5 and 6, be cast into the fire because they're not abiding in him. John finishes by saying that this Christian who, who uh, follows Jesus' great commandment to love their fellow Christians shall not stumble. In other words, how will they not stumble? Well, since they're not walking in darkness and they're not walking in hatred and they're not walking in sin, they can clearly see because they're in the light with Christ. And they have true fellowship with God, so they shall not stumble. Why? Because they're walking in the light. You know, you, you can still stumble during the daytime, okay, right? I mean, I, I stumble sometimes. I trip and fall. But it wasn't because I can't see where I'm going. It, it's because I missed my step or I'm looking another way. But have I stumbled at night when I'm getting up and from bed and trying to go to the bathroom and without turning on the light? Absolutely, because guess what? I can't see where I'm going because I'm in the darkness, What's well, the same thing now? If you're in the darkness of sin and you're hating or strongly disliking your fellow brother or sister in Christ or any fellow brother or sister in Christ, you cannot be in the light, so you're going to stumble. And then if you're, if you're stumbling, you're, you're not going to heaven because you're not abiding with Christ. So Christians, hating or strongly disliking other Christians will cost you to forfeit your salvation, period, the end. There's no other way to see it. But why? Why, you say? Why, Pastor? And I don't understand why. Why is it so important that we love another Christian? Why can't, I, why can't I have a strong dislike for anybody? Why can't I have a strong dislike for another Christian? Well, John says in this epistle, only go to chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Again, he tells us that, that we should love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Listen to what he says, verse 8. He who does not love God, or I'm sorry, he he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, I talked about this some time ago. But we talked about how when somebody gets saved, at salvation we'll say, that the, the unsaved person gets saved, and then the Bible says that God comes and lives inside of us. Well, when he starts living inside of someone, he starts to sanctify that person, and they start becoming more like him. We talked about that just at the beginning of our sermon. And since God is love and hates sins, it's okay to hate sin. It's not okay to hate people, but it's okay to hate sin. God hates sin, but he's love. Christians hating Christians is sin. And since this is sin to God, God says, I will not dwell in you if you do not love. 
I am love, you must love, because I am love. It's his very nature. It's his very character. And if a person is saved and has God or Jesus Christ living within them, they should be living and not hating or strongly disliking other true followers of Christ. For God is living in them and wants his house, you could say us, to be free from the things that he hates. And again, God is love, but he hates sin, right? He hates sin. But unfortunately, a Christian can strongly stop listening to God or the Holy Spirit living in within them and stop obeying and becoming or and start becoming apathetic towards God leading in them and loving others. And that's how someone can forfeit their salvation. And basically with God within them, hey, say, I'm not, you know what? I, I hate that. I know you say love, but you know, that person did something wrong to me and I just can't forgive them. I just going to, going to just hate that Christian forever. Cause there's no, there's no way they did that to me. I, I, and God says, but my kid, I want my child love. And right there you go into darkness. As John says here, the moment you start to strongly dislike or hate another Christian, John says, Oh, you're in darkness. Sorry. You left the light. God's light. God's love. You left the light. You're in walking in hatred. Now, John punches home his point here to close this section. He writes in verse 11, he says this, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Just like I told you about when I get up at night and trying to go to the bathroom and I stumble and I'm in the dark and I can't see without a light on. You're, you're almost blind you're walking in the darkness. Putting together what we've learned today with all of what John wrote to us here, what he said sounds a little like this. If a Christian, remember our context, the whole section is to Christians, has turned to the strong dislike of a brother or sister in Christ, rejecting God's will in them, and does not love other Christians as God is love, and Jesus Christ commanded to us in John 15, 12, then they're walking in darkness, it's the darkness of sin, and their eyes are blinded because of this darkness of sin. And since they are not in the light, they're not abiding with Jesus Christ in the light, right? Because remember, 1 John 1, 5, God and Jesus is God, they are light, that means that there, if there's no repentance to this sin and this disobedience to Christ's commandment, Jesus said in John 15, if you're not abiding with me, you're going to be cast off. I'll cut you off as a branch. And if you don't ever repent, you continue to walk in that hatred until you die. Then they're going to throw you in the fire, which is a representation of hell. And you'll forfeit, basically you'll forfeit your salvation. Pretty strong language by both Jesus Christ and, and most of and his most beloved disciple, I would say. And you know what? On this whole topic of love... You know, very clear here, God, Christ, John, they're all saying, hey, Christians, you need to love one another. It's the commandment Jesus Christ gave. It's the commandment that he gave to us. Every Christian supposed to love. And if we're not loving, we need to repent and start loving or else we're going to be walking in darkness and we won't make it to heaven. It's what Jesus said, John 15. And on this command, though, on this whole love topic, did you know that God's command to love even goes beyond just Christians loving other Christians? He also commands Christians to love those that are not Christians. Even love those who we may be inclined to 
hate the most of all in our lives. He wants us to love those people too. And he wants us to love our biggest enemies. The Bible talks about this, but where? Well, all we have to do is look to the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 25-37, where the two commandments on which all the law and the prophets that hang on were brought up. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, which is what we're talking about love today. Love, 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 love. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And you could really just consider your neighbor, whom you're to love as yourself, to be a fellow Christian, right? I mean, that would fit with the context of what we just talked about today. Hey, yeah, I got it, Pastor Ed. Love my neighbor. My neighbor, God's talking about my neighbor as a Christian. Yeah, I'm supposed to love my, love my Christians. And that would really fit. But are our neighbors just Christians? Let's read over this. Just the short little bit. I'm not going to get all of it, but just the... The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus addresses the topic of who our neighbor is. Listen to Luke 10, 29 through 37. So about eight or nine verses here. But he, this lawyer who had jumped up to test Jesus, but he wanted to justify himself, uh, justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road. This would be a Jewish priest. Uh, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a good, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down from where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on or pouring on oil and wine, and, and set on him his own, and set him on his own animal. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day. Uh, when he departed, he took the two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will give you when I come. I will repay you. So which of these three, Jesus asked this lawyer, do you think was this man's neighbor who had fallen among thieves? The lawyer who wanted to justify himself said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The man that fell among thieves was an enemy to Jews. Yet a Jew who was his enemy came and he helped him. And Jesus said here, who is your neighbor, lawyer, that you want to justify yourself and think, well, I can just only love those who love me back. No, the story he gave was of a man loving someone that he did not love naturally. His whole society said Jews are against these people. Hey, don't love these people. These people are our enemies. Yet this Jew proved himself to be the true neighbor by loving his mortal enemy, loving that one that society said should not, he should not love. And this, we see, is the one who is our neighbor. Not just another Christian, Christians, but someone that you would be inclined to think, that's my mortal enemy. That's the one whom I, he just did all these things against me. I just hate him so bad because I can because he's not a Christian and above. No, you can't hate anybody. So as you see, Christians, this scripture applies to all. All right. It applies to all Christians as well. These are the two laws on which all the prophets and all the law hang. Love the Lord your God with everything, all that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what we're supposed to do. This is what, how we're supposed to live our lives. Not just commanded to love other Christians, Christian, 
but we're commanded to love even the people that we'd be inclined to hate the most. In closing, John 15, 12, and parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says to Christians, to all Christians, this is my commandment to you, that you love all peoples on the face of the earth, especially those other children of mine, all Christians. Love everybody. Do you today consider yourself a Christian? I mean a true follower of Jesus Christ. If so, do you unconditionally love all people, Christian or not? Even those that have done you wrong. Even those that have hurt you or are hurting you still to this day. As Jesus Christ commanded you to do. Or do you have a general hatred or strong dislike for people, Christian or not? And by this I mean any. If you can think in your mind, there's even one person that you hate right now. God's speaking to you, and he says, my child, you're wrong. I want you to love them. I want you to love them unconditionally as I love you. And I'm not talking, by the way, about disliking someone's sin. God hates sin, but loves the sinner. Okay? It's not wrong to hate the things that somebody does. Right? Understand. Somebody, uh, somebody sh- uh, k- kills a, a, one of your family members. I hate the fact that they did that. Oh, that's okay. It's okay to be angry with something somebody does. But it's not okay to hate the person that did the sin. For God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. So I'm talking about Do you have hatred or a strong dislike or a strong hatred, feeling of dislike toward anybody as far as who they are? If so, if this is you, if this is you, if you have this strong dislike or this hatred toward anybody, then you heard what God told us in his word today. He is love and he is light. And those that are really his, those that want to abide in him, he commands that we have to love other people. So if you can say you hate or strongly dislike anybody today, then you need to repent of that. Because John just told you that you're living your life in the darkness. And as we already heard, the darkness cannot abide in the light. And God is light. You need to start loving others as Jesus Christ commanded you to love them so that you can start abiding in Him, so that you can start abiding in Christ, so that you can have a true, fulfilled, saved relationship with God. No matter why you hate or why you have a strong dislike for another Christian or any person for that matter at all, you need to put that away and you need to love them. Even if they've done you wrong, just forgive them as God forgave you in Christ and love them as God loves you. Remember in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, Jesus closed by saying this in verse 35 or, or something like this. I just modified it so I could help us understand it. He said this in verse 35. He says, My heavenly Father will not forgive you unless each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. Now we can say anybody for that matter because we're supposed to love all. Does not forgive his brother in his trespass. So we, Christians, it's time to unconditionally love others and stop fooling around and get into the light 
so that we won't stumble and that we won't live in sin and practice any type of sin. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you're always working on us in some way or the other. Lord, those out there that are just truly loving already, praise you, dear God, for them. And thank you, dear God, for them. And I pray that they would continue. I pray that they would not stop. Lord, as I know even myself, I've had people that I've loved in my life over the last five and seven years, Lord, that have really done me wrong and really hurt me and really betrayed me and really said bad things about me, Lord. And it's been real easy to catch myself uh, thinking that I hate them or having hard feelings against them or having strong feelings of dislike, as all the word hatred means. But Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that I forgave them. And I thank you, Lord God, that you've forgiven me. And Lord, I pray that anybody out there, for anybody out there right now that's struggling with just strong feelings of dislike for anybody, no matter what they've done to them ever, and I pray, dear God, that you'd help them forgive. And I pray, Lord God, that they would be obedient to the commandments of Jesus Christ as he commanded, Lord God, commanded in John 15, this is my command that you love one another. Lord, please help any that have been wounded, any that have been hurt, to love and forgive as they are loved and forgiven so that they may walk in the light with you as you are light and as you are love. Thank you, Lord God, for always working on us, Lord. And I know there's somebody out there that you're talking to. I pray that they would let it go. I pray you'd help them let it go right now, Lord. Help them let go of whatever hatred or whatever strong feelings of dislike that they have toward anybody in this world. For God, you are light and you are love and you cannot tolerate us to live in hatred or a strong dislike for anybody because you are love and you're living within us. Help them to let it go. Help them to forgive. Help them to love. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.